0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> Create, connect, communicate. Create, connect, communicate. Touch uh-huh. your uh-huh. enigmatic, magic uh-huh. gift of gaps Super, super, add story, story from, from the space. space, space Come, well lit. <laughs> hello ladies and gentlemen human beings of the world we are back with another episode of firelight chats here in da'an taipei taiwan we have a very special guest welcoming and ringing in the new year 2023 coming from down under very far but he has made his way here his name is cameron Berstow. welcome cameron Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you for coming. Uh, we also have another guest here uh, hiding in the corner doing some work. Yes. Please don't tell my colleagues about this. Alex Olin. He could be here or he might not be here.
2: I'll try and pop in every once in a while. Ask some, ask some relevant basketball or uh, other relevant Australian questions.
1: Yes. Nice. Thank you very much for joining us. Cameron is an Australian former professional basketball player. Played in the NBA, played college basketball as well in the States. He has recently retired and he is doing some new endeavors. And we will hopefully get into that. Cameron, can you introduce yourself to everyone?
0: Hey everyone, Uh, I'm Cameron. I'm from Australia, Brisbane, Australia. Grew up there, family of seven kids, quite large family. And yeah, went to University of New Mexico for my college career. Was drafted by the Bulls. Played there for two years, then played you know a number of years for in the NBL in Australia, a year in Europe, and a couple of years for the national team um, in the Olympics and World Championships.
1: Mm, nice. What brings you to
0: Taiwan? You are here now in Taipei. We are very happy to have you here. Uh, what brings you here? So I recently retired uh, as a player. And I've now started a a sports agency, basketball, primarily and just representing uh, players. And so getting a feel for Taiwan, you know, the sport landscape and, you know, the basketball scene here. So uh, it's been really good so far. You know, haven't really. To be honest, you know, I've seen a lot of Taiwan basketball uh, until, you know, I came here. So it's been you know very enlightening and good to, you know, make a lot of connections, meet a lot of people and, you know, see what it's all about. Is this your first time to Taiwan? First time, yeah. Nice. Yeah. All right. So you don't speak Chinese. No, no Chinese, unfortunately.
1: All right. So, yeah. So how do you feel? You're landing here for the first time. Um, You've obviously kind of seen quite a bit of the world, I guess, as a professional hooper. But uh, what do you think about Taiwan? What about your first impressions?
0: Yeah, it's a combination of, you know, East and West, I think. And I've been to China a number of times you know for basketball tours and whatnot so i think it's you know obviously you know got a bunch of chinese culture and uh quite westernized as well mm. you know with influences from from there and so i think it's really nice i think you know you get a, a combination of both and i think that you know the food's great you know, the people are nice uh, the weather's good you know it has been the winter so i'm sure in the summer it would it'd be a bit bit hotter but i think you know it's been really nice so far and as i said everyone's been really friendly and yeah it's been really good
1: yeah, I know. It's the beginning of January. It's supposed to be like kind of the dead of the winter now, but it's actually pretty warm today. Yeah. Yeah. You're wearing a short sleeve shirt. Yeah. We're just chilling here. Like it's almost summer springish, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what about food? I heard our friend Alex here has taken you around. Have you had bubble tea yet?
0: Yeah. I love, love bubble tea. Oh yeah. yeah? That's been yeah one of my favorites so far. Yeah. Still working out, you know, the right, you know tea mixture I guess and you know hot cold all that kind of stuff but yeah I do love some bubble tea and what about food what did Alex
1: introduce you to Alex is our resident Taiwan expert here <laughs> more so just food expert no, I wouldn't say Taiwan but when it comes to eating I definitely do a lot of that exactly you took him around a little bit so
0: yeah we had some pancake what was the, the pancake roll we had
1: Oh, we had a uh,
2: jumping, which is like beef pancake or like mm. beef burrito yeah. with some green onion, some teriyaki soy sauce. Yeah, we went to a little hole in the wall, which looking back on, I'm a total idiot for taking you there
1: because <laughs> you didn't fit at all. <laughs> but, yeah.
2: but still very good food.
0: Yeah, very good food.
1: Yeah. Cameron's 6'9". Six, 6'9", nine. Six, nine, yep. 6'9". 250 pounds, it lists you on Wikipedia. But how are you feeling these days? Are you
0: 250 no, I'm about 220 now. Oh,
1: okay. <laughs> You're a lot slimmer yeah. after after retirement. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, I read that uh, you went in
2: college, New Mexico. You came in at 210, yeah. and then you put on 40 pounds of muscle. Is this true in the four years? And the coaches were raving that you work out and get lifts in
1: after games. Yeah, that's in th- uniform. Yeah, that that was true. Right. Yeah, that's a okay. So look, it says. Bairdsoe gained attention during his senior season for his ritual of going to the weight room to lift after games while still in uniform, receiving praise from opposing coaches and the media for his commitment and work ethic. Is this a true story?
0: Yeah, that is one of the, yeah, the, the few <laughs> true stories. But that was actually something I'd, I'd done you know, most of my college career. Uh, I was actually a big fan of Dennis Rodman, and he mm. he, he did that and. I always found, you know, you could just, you know, lifting was a big part of of my development. I wasn't a great natural athlete. And so, you know, the weight room was a big part of being able to compete, you know, at a high level against some of the best athletes. So that was key for me. And yeah, that was something I did my whole career pretty much was being able to, you know, lift after games. I always felt you have more time to recover, you know, so you could actually go harder and and maintain, you know, what you had throughout the season. So that one's actually true, yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay, that's impressive. What were you lifting? I'm curious. What were your
0: like main lifts? Yeah, it was mainly you know the power lifts, the Olympic lifts, squats, uh, deadlifts. But pretty meat and potatoes type of guy. Not <laughs> not a lot of um, yeah the CrossFit or whatever the new trend is. Just, yeah. Yeah, had a really good old school strength coach in college who yeah was really good. Just heavy training. Yeah, pretty much a lot of <laughs> meat and potatoes. Pretty and much <laughs> putting on some muscle. Yeah, pretty much.
1: Yeah, it also says here in that same kind of paragraph, it says, Berstow was arguably the most improved player in the history of the Lobo program. The Lobo, I believe, is the University of New Mexico, the Lobos, right? Uh, Head coach Craig Neal stated, I don't think there's anybody who's come farther in four years. I don't think there's anybody who could have predicted what he's done this season. So you played four years there, but according to this, there was a pretty big change, a market change between your junior year and your senior year. What happened there?
0: Yeah, well, I don't think it was just during my junior year. I think, you know, if you go back, I didn't even average, you know, two points a game my freshman year. I think my second year averaged about four points a game. Junior year averaged about 10 points a game. Hmm. And final year doubled that again to about 20. So I think each year, you know, it was a continuous improvement but definitely coming in when i finished high school i didn't have a single division one offer i had to stay an extra year in australia training and whatnot the offer i got from new mexico was extremely late Um, they basically had a kid halfway through the season uh quit and so they had a spot open and i was very fortunate to get that opportunity i didn't have high expectations from the coaches and whoever going there um, and as I said, didn't play much and just continue to work. And, you know, really each year got a bit more opportunity. And, yeah, obviously my final year got, you know, even more opportunity and really show it. But it was really a gradual progression. And each year I felt like uh, I was making the same, you know, level of improvement. Hmm. So
1: you think even if you didn't peck on all that muscle, you still would have had 20 points
0: a game? <laughs> no, for sure. The muscle was. You know, a huge part in no. it, yeah, for sure. I mean, mm. yeah, that was a big thing in college too. You know, when you're a senior going against a freshman, it's you know a marked difference in terms of you know the level of maturity and you know physicality and everything. And so, yeah, that was obviously a key you know thing. Was also just you know getting older, getting stronger, and everything like that.
1: So you said you were recruited quite late for University of New Mexico. You were in Australia at that time.
0: Yeah. So did my full high school in Australia mm. and we had something called the Australian Institute of Sport. Basically it's a government funded program where they get kids between the age of maybe fifteen to eighteen. I was, yeah, very fortunate there that the the coach saw something, you know, in me to want to bring me down there. I really wasn't expecting to make it. And that was yeah, another instrumental part of my development was being there for a year after I finished high school and then From there, that's actually how New Mexico got in contact because they asked that coach who they know, you know, some of the better players in the country. If they've got anyone, he mentioned my name and that's how we got in contact.
1: At that time, did you kind of have these dreams and aspirations to go to the States? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, for
0: sure. Growing up, always loved watching the Duke North Carolina Mm. games and, you know, the big time college basketball. A lot of College basketball isn't like that. You know, the lower D1 and everything, you know, it's it's a lot less. So I was very fortunate to get to New Mexico where, you know, we were selling out 16,000 every night. Oh, wow. Yeah, the place we played at was called The Pit because it was literally they dug a pit in the ground and put a stadium a roof over the top. They did some studies and it was actually the, the loudest arena in the country because of the echo um, yeah. from being in the ground. The acoustics. Yeah, so it was awesome. You know, that experience was, you know, it's still to this day, haven't played in a in a better place to play it would get so loud you know you'd come out like you'd been in a nightclub with your ears ringing you couldn't hear because it was that loud so it was yeah definitely a really cool experience oh wow that's amazing
1: yeah what did you study at university of new mexico
0: I studied exercise science so yeah i was always interested in you know lifting and training was i was always interested in the body and performance and everything like that and so that's why i got into that side of things and i felt you know that was also key is is understanding you know why you're doing what you're doing and mm. in order to be able to you know improve on that and, and optimize it
1: yeah i think i had read somewhere that that was one of your future goals at some point is kind of following that track maybe post career so is that something that you're still interested in, or do you think you've moved on to this kind of new agency role?
0: Yeah, I'd like to incorporate a bit of everything into it. You know, I think being a former player and having these experiences, I think, makes me a bit unique in this space. In that, I actually. Truly understand the game, and I guess what it takes to play basketball, you know, make the reads, go through the day to day life of a professional athlete. And so I, th- I think it all comes together in terms of being able to, because as an agent, you know, one of your biggest roles should be essentially, you know, advising players, you know, what it's going to be like. This is how you will be successful here and whatnot. And so I think that it all comes into it in terms of understanding that side of things is something that I can, you know, add into that um, mm. to provide. You know guys help with them and whatnot it's something that you know initially i was looking at the path of maybe strength conditioning or something like that the reality is there's not a whole lot of jobs and you know i love high level sport and i love working with high level athletes and that was one of the reasons why i wanted to you know be an agent
1: mm. what about basketball itself when did you first realize what is your basketball journey when
0: did it start basically my mom you know coached and we had a big family as i mentioned and and so my older brother older sister played and so it was always pretty natural you know at age of six you know just started playing and whatnot i wasn't a very good player when i was younger um you know i was pretty chubby and slow hmm. and was very fortunate to grow late you know obviously being six nine helps a lot you know in basketball so as a youth you know you wouldn't have expected much but i was fortunate to have my mom who taught you know a lot of the you know fundamentals and skills and whatnot and then you know, once I did started growing and kept working, you know, at it, a lot of that stuff came together. So she was a basketball coach. Yeah. Primary for youth. Um, okay. But yeah, she just loved it. And she just coached all the the kids and the youth. Because we've had, you know, my younger sister, she played professionally in Australia. My younger brother, the one right below me, he's currently playing in the NBL in Australia. Mm. And, and the youngest is currently at Utah State in, in the state. So We've had a number of players in the family who are you know, playing at a high level. And I think that's a result mm. of yeah, my mom and teaching the fundamentals.
1: So you said you kind of grew late. Our second guest, Chuck Garcia from the Fubon Braves, he mentioned when we were talking to him that he had like a crazy growth spurt in high school. Do you remember that? Alex? Oh, yeah.
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. was
1: like overnight from like something like junior to senior year. Yeah, that's how a
2: lot of those big guys you see like still have some handles. Like Anthony Davis was a point guard for a long time until he had his major growth spurt. They all develop their handles and then shoot up and they're like, oh,
1: I can play in the post now. Exactly. So did you like wake up one day and you were like a foot taller hitting your head everywhere or how did that growth spurt happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, it probably went over the about two two to three years. You know, grade 10, I was about five foot 10 and, you know, just everyone's hide. And then, you know, really from there, um, by the time I finished school, I was you know six nine and so that's so crazy. Yeah, five ten's already huge for me. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then suddenly six nine. Yeah, yeah, it helps. Yeah, no, it, def- it definitely does, and I think that is you know a thing as a player you have to be you know, aware of type of thing in terms of like what everyone's given is different. So comparing yourself to others is always going to be a a path that doesn't lead you to the right place because everyone's, as I said, given different talent, given different gifts, raised in different environments, different opportunities, everything like that. And so that's why I think you just got to run your own race because I think it can be incredibly frustrating, you know, for all the guys I know who, you know, didn't grow or whatever, had an early injury and whatnot. And so, yeah, just... Again, I'm, I'm very thankful that I was given, you know, what I was given.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how was that transition going from, you know, growing up in Australia your whole life to finally moving to the States and going to a college with a really amazing program, right? With the pit as well. The environment was amazing. What was that like for you, that shift?
0: Yeah, it was really interesting because in Australia, the basketball scene, especially at the time, wasn't very big in mm. terms of, you know, the popular sports were cricket, you know, British colonial uh, sports, rugby, right, uh, whatnot. So we didn't get a lot of, you know, attention or fans in Australia. And, you know, my first game, you know, in the States, preseason game was like 11,000 people there. So it was a definite transition and it was difficult for me. To get accustomed to, you know, performing in that environment at that level, you know, the pressure, the expectations, all that kind of stuff. And what was fortunate for me was that the expectations from everyone else was very low. You know, obviously had high expectations from myself, but you know, everyone else didn't see me mm. as being much. And so um, when I initially wasn't much, it was kind of <laughs> I was just living to their to their level. And so, mm. um, but it was it was definitely. From a community or living there standpoint, it it was fine, you know, America speaks English. Mm -hmm. Um, The country at the time I think was, you know, in a good spot, everything like that. And New Mexico took a little adjusting, you know, coming from Australia, you know, we're all on the coast, so you got a bit of beach culture. Uh, New Mexico was... It's a desert. It's a desert, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What year was this? When did you arrive
1: in New Mexico?
0: 2010.
1: 2010. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So did you get out to the desert? Did you uh, pick up some lifestyle changes there in New Mexico?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the culture and and the food in New Mexico is very unique. I appreciate New Mexico because it was, well, Albuquerque in particular, where you know we were based, it was kind of um, had a lot of unique people would be the best way to describe it. But <laughs> there wasn't a lot of Judgement around that either, um, mm. which was nice. Anyone could be themselves, and you know, I feel like in other places like Los Angeles or wherever, mm. you know, you're expected to be a certain way. But New Mexico was was pretty cool in that regard, and they just love you know Lobo basketball. They just absolutely loved it, and there was no major professional sporting teams in town. It was just it's just ball, yeah. yeah. It was just us. The the football team won you know three games in three years. And so it was just, you know, about us. and it was and, the pit. Yeah. <laughs> did anyone else play in the
1: pit or was that for basketball? I mean, did they have other sports like volleyball or something like this? It just us in
0: women's basketball. Okay. And, and, you know, likewise, the women's basketball team was top 25 in attendance each year as well. So. so what is your most memorable basketball
1: memory from this time, four years in New Mexico?
0: Probably there was a game... And I think we are against San Diego State or, or one of our main rivals, maybe Cincinnati or something, you know, a big game. And, you know, I just remember, you know, one of our guards getting a steal in the fast break, you know, going out for a dunk. And just the roar of the crowd was just, it just kept going up. And then it gets to the point where it just becomes a dull ringing because oh, it's so loud. Right. And it's just, you know, you just get goosebumps um, when it's when it's like that. It's just, it was just, yeah, it's just an unbelievable place to play and. You know, we were definitely spoiled there because once you get to professional basketball, even in the NBA, it's really not like that. You know, a lot of it's entertain me, right? Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of the, you know, whereas there it was, they were there to support the team. They were there to. Some some serious
1: college passion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was really special and and something that, you know, was definitely, you you actually don't get a lot, you know, in, in college basketball, you know, in terms of, those unc duke environments you know there's you know really not that many of them um that level so yeah i was very fortunate Mm.
2: yeah those those rivalries it's funny that you say that because i think someone another nba player was just talking about that like the college rivalries compared to nba rivalries are way better right because the college kids are insane about like their the rival college Mm -hmm. but i am just realizing didn't you uh because you were checking out the other Asian countries and the different Asian leagues. And did you play with uh, Alex Kirk also went to like New Mexico, right? So you probably play with who's a, another really good big man playing mm. in Japan. He's probably played in Japan for like 10 years now. Hmm. Yeah. A yeah. really good center for Japan.
0: Yeah. And I was actually yeah, just visiting Alex. I stayed with him for a week or two. And he was a local boy from New Mexico. But, you know, we, we were quite good. You know, we were top 25 each year because we had, you know, me... He was a five man, he played, you know, in the NBA, he played, you know, high level, you know, international basketball. We had Tony Snell who had played in the NBA for a while, and mm-hmm. we had two good guards as well. And so we had a really good team, which was obviously helped. So after these
1: four years playing for University of New Mexico, were you immediately drafted?
0: And did you know that you wanted to go to the NBA? I always wanted to play in the NBA, but I honestly didn't think you know, that I was going to get drafted or anything like that. Uh, It wasn't really until, you know, after the season, you know, when I sat down because before my final year, obviously there wasn't a lot of interest from that end or, you know, I wasn't speaking to a lot of agents or anything like that. And then in my final season, I just wanted to focus on basketball. I just wanted to enjoy it. And so I didn't really speak to any agents. I didn't, do any of that stuff and so I had no idea you know where I stood and it wasn't until after season that sat down with the coach and you know we talked to some scouts and whatnot that realized that you know I was actually you know on some draft boards because the draft boards that you see online you know I wasn't on any of them but they're not really accurate you know Mm. and so hearing that from you know actual NBA scouts that I was in the picture to get drafted was pretty cool but to be honest I thought I would have to go you know overseas and come back or something like that because mm. yeah I just hadn't been told that my whole life you know hadn't been told you know like the average you know solid American kid that you know you're going to the NBA you're going to the NBA mm-hmm. um, it was just you know go play basketball and you know hopefully one day it happens and yeah it ended up happening pretty quickly
2: what was mom's reaction like when you were like getting talked to from NBA scouts and probably some agents and like different people around the block, as as like the one who brought you into basketball, right, and the one who mm, led you on that trajectory. True. Yeah,
0: yeah. She loved it. I mean, yeah. Obviously, she was you know very proud. Um, but to be honest, she you know was proud you know at each stage, and uh, she has been with all all of our kids. You know, um, but she was mainly just proud of understanding you know, where I'd come from in terms of the kid who didn't make, you know, little junior teams and whatnot to, you know, be playing at that level was if you truly understand, you know, the the journey, it's like all the, the struggles that go on. I think that's really what gives you that appreciation, I guess.
2: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. That's really more of like the journey than the destination,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think that's always, you know, the way it is to some extent is, especially, you know, once you look back on it, or it's in the past, you know, it really, doesn't mean much besides the experience itself and you know these are just labels and, and you know life in general is all about the experience and so that was the main thing you know for me the whole time was just trying to enjoy it as much as i can because you know you do understand as an athlete that it does have to end it's almost you know like dying twice you know where you've got this very specific this is what i am this is mm-hmm. what you identify with and I think yeah, one of the difficult things in players retiring is, is that side of things in terms of, you know, what am I now? Mm-hmm. So
1: it's 2014, the NBA draft. Where were you at this time? How does this work for us mere mortals who will never get to experience this kind of thing? Uh, where were you? And how did you feel? And what was this situation like surrounding the draft?
0: Basically, I'd done a bunch of workouts with different teams and had a pretty good idea where I stood, what teams were interested or likely to draft me, and I knew that the Bulls, at, I think it was 49, were very likely to draft me. You know, mm. you know, understanding that it was kind of, I guess, reassuring, but you you, you never really know until it happens. But I was basically, you know, just at my girlfriend's now my wife's house in San Antonio. And, you know, we were just watching it. I, I don't even think i really watched the first round because I, I knew I wasn't going to get drafted. It wasn't until the second round I started watching. Mm. And then, you know, a couple of minutes before the 49th pick, my agent texted me saying that I was going to be drafted. Yeah, and that was – the thing was, for me, unless you're a first-round pick, you don't get a guaranteed contract. And so, for me, being drafted didn't really mean a whole lot. It was mm. more about, again, if the goal is to play in the NBA – you know you have to get the contract and whatnot and so because there's actually some advantages of not getting drafted you know late because when you get drafted late you are locked into a team in terms of they have your rights and that may not be the team that is actually highest on you or Mm. willing to to sign you and you know this was a case with my friend matthew dell of dover you know who was. Going to get drafted by the phoenix suns i believe with maybe the 59th pick and his agent told them not to draft him and as a result he went to cleveland who really liked him but hmm. just hadn't selected him i think with the early second round pick you know sure enough that's where he got his opportunity and so um you know i was yeah very fortunate to get drafted by a team that did want me and wanted to sign me yeah that's how it worked
2: wow i didn't know that della story that's that's awesome yeah, then so. that worked out really well for him. Yeah, for he sure. went and won yeah. a championship with Cleveland and yeah, and then now doing very well. Yeah, oh, man. for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think,
0: you know, a lot of anything in life is a bit of luck, a bit of timing, a bit of situation. Obviously, the preparation, hard work. But for example, with him, the Phoenix, I believe, wanted to stash him overseas. And so you never know how that unfolds from there. And so you know, he's, he is a case of, and obviously, he went in and pushed his way into the calves and everything like that. And so he did, he did obviously it all himself but there's an example of you know how that whole situation works mm. I, I mean
2: sorry in advance camera but we got to ask about like just your situation coming in to the bowls in 2014 because you came in and they had d rose they had taj gibson they had Pau gasol paul gasol comes to the team and is still being coached by thibodeau and this is like when did d rose have his first acl bad tear that was like 2012 right yeah, so it's like two years after, and he was playing. He was playing a good amount of games too. You guys were good, like yeah. really good. Yeah, yeah, like deep into the playoffs, good. Yeah. So what was that? What was that year like coming into that, and what was it like with those veterans too? Yeah,
0: no, it was interesting. I mean, obviously we had very high expectations, and you know that year I think we finished off with the three seeds, so I think we did solidly well, and I think we were we we're up two one, and I think LeBron hit a game winner just tied up 2-2. And so we had a chance to go up 3-1 against the Cavs uh, who, you know, went to the finals. Yeah. So, you know, in in many ways that that was a successful season. But, you know, from my perspective, you know, coming in, Tom Thibodeau, you know, wasn't... One to, I guess, spend a lot of time on his rookies, you know, (laughs) you could say. And, you know, awesome coach, you know, awesome basketball mind. But, you know, he probably said two words to me (laughs) the Mm. whole season. Yeah, so that was interesting because coming in, you know, you finally break out in a sense in your final year of college. Mm. And, you know, coming into that and then, you know, we didn't have a G League team. So it wasn't playing in any real basketball games and everything like that. And then, the team didn't train a whole lot. And so it was a very unique situation. And one, you know, if I could go on, have gone back, I would have handled a lot better, you know, in terms of my time there, you know, it was early in my career and whatnot. On one hand, you know, an amazing experience because you're in the NBA, you know, you're living your dream. On the other hand, um, you know, it was a very difficult challenge um, for me that, as I said, I don't think I handled very well. Mm. Oh, sorry, I got I to gotta
2: ask. So like, why, why do you say that you didn't handle it very well? You just like weren't, proactive enough in
0: like scheduling your own training or, or what do you mean i think i you know did that kind of stuff just in terms of yeah just mentally approaching the whole situation or the opportunity and you know all, all that type of stuff you get a level of maturity as you get older and mm-hmm. you know obviously if i'd been in that same situation you know now I, as i said i would know, handle it a lot different but it, it was you know very difficult as i said you know you're coming in as a senior you know you're feeling yourself and whatnot and then You know, the coach, suddenly you're at the bottom of the, I guess, the ladder or whatever you, the pecking order. That chart, yeah. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. handling, you know, all that. And then also, you know, letting it get to me that the coach doesn't have confidence in you, all that kind of stuff. Those are all things that I think, you know, I just would have handled better if I'd been a bit older and, and, you know, understand also being professional, everything like that. Mm.
2: Oh, for sure. That's, yeah, that's got to be a big part of the NBA, right? Like, how do those guys handle that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, and by no means did I handle it incredibly poorly and act out or anything like that. But it's just something that as you yeah get used to professional basketball and, and you would know, considering, you know, your experiences, that is the majority of professional basketball is just handling, you know, the tough times or, you know, the shit that comes along with it. Because there, there is a lot, you know, in the profession. Oh, yeah. Big, big time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What
1: are some of those? Tough times. What are some of kind of the dark side, perhaps, of the NBA? You know, we kind of glorify it. Obviously, it's the top league. But what were some of the biggest challenges? Obviously, as you are kind of shifting into agency as well, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of mentoring and leading these young players. What are some of those pitfalls or difficulties that you saw or that maybe you continue to see now?
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a bunch of difficulties. But obviously, that is a big one in terms of everyone has talent in the NBA and you know the mental side of things is primarily what differentiate guys and how guys handle that situation in terms of you know sitting on the bench not playing for a while how it affects them how you know they take advantage of the opportunities when they do come you know I think all those things are the key and then you know how you handle I guess the travel or the time because you come in college and Everything you know, is very segmented for you in terms of you're doing this at this time of the day, you know, you're training at this time of the day, you're starting at this time of the day. And so everything is set up for you. Once you get to professional, you're kind of left to your own devices a lot. And I think that can be where you know, a lot of guys can struggle. You know, a lot of guys that were far more talented than me in terms of you know, top 10 picks and whatnot that you see don't last i think that's a lot of things they run into and then you know a lot of those guys if you give young people a lot of money a lot of fame you know a lot of attention and a lot of temptation i think you know that can be a lot of the challenges that they run into
1: yeah so what kind of things did you think you needed at that time for you to see that obviously now in retrospect it's it's a lot easier to see but when you were at that age what do you think you would have needed to be able to kind of make those changes at that
0: time well just you know first off like understanding the situation the understanding was you know i was coming to a veteran team that had good players it was going to be you know somewhat difficult to play a lot of minutes but i guess truly understanding i guess how difficult that side of things were going to be how playing for Thibodeau you know, actually was gonna be the expectations around a lot of that stuff. And, you know, just certain advice on handling the day to day, I think more so than even that stuff in terms of, you know, what you have to be doing on a day to day basis. Like here's what to focus on, you know, here's how you handle it. Because, you know, I was just, you know, living in Chicago, you know, by myself early on. And so it was, you would practice or not practice or, or you know, not play or whatever, Mm. you know, and then you just come back to your room and you just sit there Mm. and waiting for the next day of training. And so, and then you're in a city that you don't know anyone, all that kind of stuff. And I guess just like how to handle it and whatever. And some of that only comes with experience. So also just, you know, truly understanding, you know, the opportunity, right? Like I think I was given that opportunity early you know, maybe I didn't appreciate it as much as, and definitely it was something I'd work for, definitely something that I'd earned because, you know, no one is giving it based on pure potential or talent or, you know, natural ability with me. It was because of my performances that I'd shown, but it was something that I truly appreciate, like this is your one shot, you know mm. make the most of you know each and every day type of thing don't take it for granted all that kind of stuff all the little things i think you know again that you know maybe it would or wouldn't have made a difference and maybe it truly is on experience that you do come to those realizations but you know, I think everything helps.
1: So what are your best memories looking back on your NBA career?
0: Yeah, I had a couple of starts. I started one game in, in Denver and played some productive minutes and that kind of stuff. But definitely, you know, just when you're out there playing and, you know, contributing to the team and all that kind of stuff, like it is awesome. Like you're playing in the NBA, you're playing mm-hmm. in an awesome environment um, against the best players in the world. And when you are out there, you're playing, you're performing, everything like that. You know, it, it is you know amazing. And so... Those you know, were you know, some of the best, best experiences. Mm, favorite teammate? In the NBA? Yeah. Uh, probably Tony Snell. He was a, a college mm. teammate of mine and then was fortunate to have him at the Bulls and yeah, just super down-earth, nice guy.
1: Favorite player in the NBA,
0: uh, other than yourself? Currently or
1: when I was there? A- what about when you were playing? when I was playing who did you love to play against maybe or or even outside of playing against them
0: yeah I was a big Tim Duncan fan Yeah, he was a bit older you know when I was there but I was always trying to copy him emulate him and the way he carried himself all that kind of stuff you know I really really liked him
1: and then growing up you had mentioned Rodman before uh were there any other kind of heroes for you yeah uh
0: Rodman was one Tim Duncan was one loved Hakeem Olajuwon loved uh Chris Bosh was another one uh just guys that you know I just really appreciated you know their games the skill set who played similar positions and and tried to take a bit you know from
2: Oh, I just like those guys because those are all the, like, super hard work. Like, Tim Duncan, everybody loves Tim Duncan. Growing up watching Tim Duncan was so fun, just awesome, too, because he's just, like, the most humble guy, too. And all the stories about him are great because you'd never do any trash talk. Mm. Cameron definitely seems like a Tim Duncan type of guy where just, like, the guy makes a shot in you and you'd be like, oh, nice shot. Like, how how do you talk trash to that guy? Uh, That's pretty fun. But I I was wondering if you have any... um, Just like welcome to the NBA moment when you first got to the Bulls and uh, you're practicing with with d rose or if you were practicing with paul gasol and you know recently like paul gasol and the redeem team had that kobe story of like kobe mm-hmm. coming to the village the olympic village with him and you know going to his room and saying like yeah this is my brother and you know the next day being like i'm gonna lay his yeah. ass out you know and, yeah, like yeah yeah runs through. runs right through the pick right and right i was wondering if you had any of those stories of you know just like mm-hmm. the welcome to the nba or or something else too i mean welcome to the u.s too i guess <laughs> uh, even though you're in new mexico for a while mm-hmm. yeah
0: now nah, in, in the nba so basically i had done the world championships with australia came straight to the us from there you know essentially a week early they wanted us there for whatever reasons tibbs just wanted to get started early so it was mainly just the young guys and a couple of the older guys were filtering in but basically when i got there i got really sick and wasn't supposed to be training or whatever um (laughs) but sure enough halfway through tibbs just like grab a jersey get on yeah we're like going through a defensive drill and, you know i'm not feeling the best so you know not moving that well uh we're doing a drill where you have to like get a stop and you know i'm used to college or you know even international where if you give a, a guy you know an open shot they'll eventually miss type of thing and, but i was just you know going through this drill and it would have been like 10 possessions straight i was just either getting blown by you know the car was just making the shot you know dumb levy tony Snow, all these guys you know i just and that was kind of the welcome to the NBA is just like Chibs was just screaming at me like you have to make him miss type of thing. Mm. Um, and that was, you know, what you come to realize is the level of shot making and, you know, skills like there's no guys in other leagues around the world, you know, you'll occasionally depending on the level play against someone who can't make a shot or can't make a move who it's like a, a night off almost. And, you know, you don't get that in the NBA. Like everyone there, you know, is elite, you know, in, in their abilities and their, the ability to make the shot or or whatever, rim running or or whatever their abilities are. And so that was, yeah, a big eye-opening experience for me, just the base the first, you know, training, Um, in the nba and couple that with not being well was pretty brutal Mm. and what do you make
2: of i'm curious now this is like a little bit of an off-topic question but what do you think of the development of the game because i wanted to talk about this too is you know like the nba big man's changed a lot even in like the past couple of years right the big men's changed a lot they really like the even as a center now you'll be expected to hit threes and be able to like step (laughs) out right play inside out like what what do you think about the development of the game? What do you think about how your game would have would have transitioned in like today's NBA yeah
0: well I, I think I saw that a little bit in terms of my first year there was a the year the Atlanta Hawks really took off in terms of the number of threes they were shooting and everything like that and the next year so my second year was when the Warriors you know that was their first year of just like coming out of the gates and, mm. and you know killing everyone and so <laughs> the three was you know as I was there the three was taking off really quickly. And it was something I definitely struggled with because I didn't shoot threes in college, anything like that. It was more of a traditional Charles Oakley style, Charles Barkley style, you know, big man uh, or four man. And suddenly I was, you know, in a position where, you know, I was too small to play a five, but couldn't really shoot it well enough to play the four in the NBA. And you know, obviously that was, you know, a, a factor in, you know, not playing much and not, you know, playing a long time. And then later in my career, you know, as I developed that stuff, probably would have been more suited uh, because now you see, you know, six, nine, five man, and, you know, or whatnot, like smaller, but, you know, who can, you know, shoot and whatnot. But, you know, definitely, you know, I saw it then where, you know, that was one of the big reasons why I I didn't last was because the the game was transitioning really quickly. You know, I guess what got me to the NBA or, you know, what enabled me to be successful in college wasn't what was going to get me to the next level in the NBA.
2: Yeah. Wow. It's crazy how, how fast the game develops. That's, yeah, that's crazy. Is that going to affect, because you talked about recruiting, right? You talked yeah. about like moving on to the next phase, the transitioning over to agency phase. Are you targeting a specific type of player? Are you looking for those guys where you're like, Hey, I, I know your game. I know you have similar styles as me. I know here's the advice to get to the next level and not only just get to the next level, but play continuously play and do well in the next level. Or is it more so just, hey, I'm looking for guys that can ball and I can help their career.
0: Uh, definitely the first ones in terms of like guys that I think I can actually, you know, help. My experiences were definitely, you know, not unique in a lot of sense. Like, you know, a lot of guys actually have similar career trajectories or you see, you know, over and over again playing out based on, you know, certain attributes they have, whether that's hard working, not working hard, they're talented or, or whatever they are, the continuum. And you kind of see kind of just how important you know, the the mental, the habitual side of stuff is. And so I think that does play a, a key role in, yeah, how I recruit in terms of understanding because, you know, as a player you talk to coaches and GMs all the time and you see what works, what doesn't, uh, who lasts, who doesn't. And I think having that understanding definitely impacts, you know, my recruiting but also, you know, I guess who I think I can have an actual impact on versus like am I just getting a kid who anyone can – can do the same thing with or is this kid i can actually help because you know he's missing x y and z or you know he needs to understand this and so i think yeah it's definitely the the former in terms of wanting players that a i can actually you know help and then be who i see something that you know if they had you know things that i could you know help them with then they can be something more oh that's awesome that's mm. that's very like moneyball-esque too i yeah. don't know if you've ever seen that <laughs> yeah movie, yeah, but yeah i love yeah. That, i actually love that movie yeah <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah that that sounds very similar yeah. well, that's cool and um your story reminds me not so much but there's a little bit of similarities with uh i'm just curious if you've watched like last chance U. Have you you've ever seen that on netflix
0: yeah yeah i've watched a couple of episodes it's um it's interesting. <laughs> yeah, because even though you
2: didn't go community college or JUCO route, but you said you spent like an extra year at like high school level, right? And that's a lot of those kids are looking to get to the D one level, and yeah. So I'm 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 curious also if you've if you've researched at all because U S recruiting is kind of it's it's very strange landscape right now. With we were talking about the NIL and kids like NCAA and I mean LeBron's kids already are signing brand deals, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. They're like. 13 years old yeah. and getting like call collegiate offers and getting brand deals yeah. and capitalizing off their name image likeness. But then on it's similar to the NBA in that respect where there's like the top 10% of the guys, you know, like the LeBron staff, you know, Jimmy Butler's uh, those guys of the world. They're killing it. Yeah. They're doing just fine. The, like the top 10%. Yeah. And then there's a huge bulk of guys in the middle. Mm. And then there's the guys who are really right at the cusp. Yeah. Or like really close to being an NBA player and playing significant minutes NBA or playing G League or playing overseas. And like those are huge differences and in in time, recognition, money, everything. And it's similar in college, too, because I think there's the guys who are at the top who are playing for those top 25 ranked schools like you were. And then there's also the kids who are trying to make it like going juco route. And lately there's, there's been like Last Chance U series and those JUCO schools getting more and more recognition. So I'm just curious if you've done any research on JUCO schools and if that'll kind of be your target too, because I think that would be a really good like relation of your story and would resonate with people.
0: Yeah, I haven't done too much research to JUCO in particular, but I do think there is something to players that have overcome adversity are far more likely to overcome adversity the next time in the NBA, you know, most guys aren't, you know, LeBron or James Harden or whoever who gets picked top 10, get the opportunity right away and just go from there, you know, at the age of 18, just get given the the keys to the kingdom. So I think most guys, it is about that, right? It's about the struggle and and whatnot. And so I think those guys that, you know, whatever it is, do go the JUCO route or have to start in division two, work their way out. I think it's just more likely you know, that those guys are also going to continue to outperform expectations because they've already, you know, shown that they can do that. They can not care what others think, you know, not care about, you know, the doubters, whatever, or lack of opportunities and continue to take advantage of it. So I think all that stuff does make a huge difference when you're evaluating, you know, what a kid can become is kind of seeing that side of things and what they have shown in terms of how much have they improved in their time at college because, you know, it's far safer to bet on you know continued improvement versus a lot of players who just are what they are you know they lace on their shoes they do the practice and they go home every day and those are the guys that don't typically make it because being a professional is all about you know as you said you know the most money by far you know 90% of the money will go to the top 10% of the players you know the amount of money that NBA the top 450 players make is exponentially more combined than every other player you know in the world and then the the amount that the top you know 45 players make is more than the rest of the Mm -hmm. NBA type of thing and so you know from endorsements and contracts and whatnot and so it is pretty much like the bell curve in terms of the distribution of that kind of stuff and so understanding that you know the difference between making it or not making it is very small. You know, the difference between a LeBron James and and a player that's on the cusp of the NBA really isn't that much in terms of, you know, it's a couple of inches, you know, in height, a couple of inches in length, you know, maybe two or three percent better, three point shooter. You know, those are differences which are very minute, but translates to completely different careers, obviously. And so I think that's why the importance of character selection and kids that continue to grind and even though okay maybe they only get a couple of percent better each year or one percent better each year there actually is a huge difference between having a career and not having a career
2: that's interesting that you mentioned like just a couple of differences in like biometrics or things like that but i also wanted to ask you about uh what's your opinion on scouting at all the different levels because you were like a two-star high school recruit yeah and then your second round pick nba was still very good but Second round pick, and I'm sure you were probably thinking at the time like, "What the hell? I'm averaging like you know 21 points. It's like yeah. a top 25 team, yeah and doing well." And now there's I'm pulling up the 2014 NBA draft, and yeah, like okay, Andrew Wiggins went one. That's pretty good. But Joel Embiid went three. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. sure they would have liked that back. Zach Levine yeah. went 13. You know, DeAndre Daniels went 37. Nikola Jokic went 41. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So that's like, yeah, there's a lot of like good guys who are picked late. Yeah. And so I'm just curious, what's your thoughts on scouting right now?
0: Yeah. In summary, it's incredibly difficult. It's Mm. trying to predict, I mean, trying to predict the future in anything is incredibly predictable, but especially when you're talking about people because you've got a combination of things you've got obviously internal and external factors you know opportunities for a guy like you know I played against uh Jokic his first year in the NBA you know if you had told me then he was I thought he was really good then I actually thought you know this guy's actually pretty good but if you had told me that he would have been MVP you know two time I, back yeah. to back yeah, MVP yeah. no no <laughs> that would have been a very difficult thing you know to predict right by mm. by anyone and so unless you actually know the guy personally, in terms of you know what drives him, you know all that kind of stuff, and then also the opportunities they get, right? Like that can be a huge thing as well in terms of getting drafted to the a certain team that is playing the young guys or just playing the veterans or or whatever it is. So it's it, it's a combination of things, and I think that's why it's so difficult to predict because for every guy you know that is on that draft list who you probably don't even know anymore, there were a hundred reasons why. You know, you thought they were going to be good. You know, in terms of all that stuff, and a hundred reasons why. You know, you didn't think Zach Levine was going to be good because you know he didn't average many points at UCLA his first year. He was known for you know being immature and whatnot as a freshman. Joel Embiid was always injured or had some injury yeah. history. Was mm-hmm. he going to be out?er Was he going to be the next Greg Oden? Um, mm. So all, all that type of stuff. I think one, it, it's being a scout in the NBA or a GM. You know, is was one of the harder jobs to have. Having said that, when you see teams like the Spurs continuously knock it out of the park each and every year, there yeah. is clearly a lot you can evaluate successfully, and so I think a lot of it is understanding the player himself. Because once you do do that, and you know this goes with like teammates I've had or players I know growing up, and watching them, you know either fizzle out or take off. Once you actually know them and know what drives them and know everything you know about that i think it actually becomes reasonably not easy but you know a lot easier to predict how things will pan out oh for sure
2: i agree that it's totally an impossible job Because you just can't know like what's the driving factors in this person's life. But do you think part of it's also just like social media just worsens everything? Because now everything's (laughs) just hyped up to an extreme. I remember even this is back in 2014 or 2013 when he was still in college. Like Andrew Wiggins was called the next LeBron. And no disrespect to Andrew Wiggins, but he's not. LeBron, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. LeBron's a little bit better. Yeah. Um, so, and, and same with Jabari Parker, same with like, it seems like every single year now it'll be like, okay, he's the next LeBron. He's yeah. the next face of the league. Yeah. This kid's great. And it's because I think in part, like people really just watch like the two second, like hoop mixtape yep. and just see him like dunking on some scrubs and yep. don't actually watch like a full game. Yeah. Like, Hey, can this guy actually make reads? Can he play defense? Can they make shots? Can they step outside? Like, do you think has in part of the reason? Is really just like, even though you should have more access to their tape, instead it's more access
0: to just highlights. Mm. Yeah, and this was actually surprising to me too. Like going through the draft process was, I was expecting because I was playing in university, I was right there for everyone to see. I thought you know, everyone was going to, you know, know what I could do, what you know, everyone else, you know, going through the draft process could do, and through the course of the season, and not actually put that much weight on the pre-draft workouts. But going through the pre-draft workouts, it was very surprising to me that it was like, that was kind of the only thing that was mattering for a lot of teams, not all of them. You know, teams like Spurs, I felt like they really did, you know, whether you had a good workout or a bad workout, like they were already on you or off you regarding whether they wanted you. But I think a lot of the GMs I did feel like were just like what they saw on the day and they made a decision based on that. Mm-hmm. And that's can be why. Because there's a lot of guys that look really, really good in workouts. You know, mm-hmm. they jump really high, run really fast, have really slick moves or one-on-one ability, which is all obviously super important in the NBA. But as you said, making reads, making decisions, all the other type of intangibles in a five-on-five setting, uh, I think, yeah, that's one part of it. As I said, it, it is... An extremely difficult thing for anyone, but I do think I remember talking to an agent, um, Giannis Antetokounmpo's agent, you know, right after the draft, and he was basically saying that teams were calling him up, you know, about Giannis just based on the highlights they'd seen. And so, for <laughs> certain teams, obviously they are making decisions just based on that. And you know, in Giannis's case, it, it really did work out. But there's right. obviously plenty of cases where, um, you know, it doesn't but you know i think the hype aspect also is a thing because gms are people too you know everyone wants to make the consensus view because then it's easy if it doesn't go well to be like well everyone thought the same thing you mm. know, it's not you know really my fault then then taking a solo pass so i think You know, all those things are are why you see bus or or whatever, or players not get selected highly. But I think, you know, the overarching theme is just talent identification is incredibly hard, but probably the hardest part of it is really determining, you know, what drives the player. Mm. So you
1: ended up playing in the NBA for a couple of years, and then you also made a transition after that playing in the NBL also you had some stints with the national team playing in in Olympics so how was that transition going from an NBA player and kind of ending your career but also continuing professional basketball
0: so yeah you don't know like when you leave the NBA like that's definitely going to be like the end of that mm. but definitely coming back I knew I had to you know go overseas and and it was you know and it was an interesting stage because you know, you finally accomplished, you know, your dream of playing in the NBA um, and now you're going overseas and it's kind of like, what is the motivating factor? And so that took a little bit of time to, you know, wrap your, wrap my head around. But, you know, unfortunately then, you know, that first season, you know, I was going overseas was when kind of, you know, I started having some injury issues and whatnot. So that, that was a bit, you know, unfortunate. And, and, you know, that really pretty much from then on out, yeah, one of the limiting factors I had you know, in my professional career.
1: So what about the National Basketball League in Australia? What
0: do you think about the league? Yeah, it's come it's come a long way. You know, about ten years ago it was on the brink of collapse in terms of teams were folding left and right, and basically a, a guy named Larry Kessman stepped in and bought a controlling stake in the in the league. He saw opportunity, and at the same time, you know, Australian basketball has just taken off in terms of the number of players, the talent that's, you know, flooding into the NBA, you know, Olympic success, past Olympics with a bronze medal. And they've really done a great job down there promoting the game, promoting the league. Tendances, you know, tenants this league is the highest it's ever been. Salaries have gone up. So I think it's become a lot more enviable from a player standpoint. You know, players now, you know, back in the day, locals didn't really want to play there. You know, you wanted to play, you know, in Europe more or wherever would take you essentially. But now it definitely is much more enviable for players to want to play there and whatnot. And that's definitely improved the, the league a lot in terms mm. of the talent and also the imports. We're now getting a uh, uh, world-class, I'd say. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Give us a
1: little snapshot of your post-NBA career.
0: Yeah. So basically from there, I uh, went back to the Brisbane Bullets. You know, I went to the Olympic Games from there. You know, Disclared my shoulder, unfortunately, uh, in the Olympics. You know, went from there to the Bullets, played, you know, maybe 10 games, then did my ACL, you know, missed a a full season, you know, came back. Yeah, it was very difficult coming back from an ACL and whatnot and getting that first year going. Um, So played in the Bullets that first season back, then went to Lithuania. That was going and and COVID came and happened. But Mm. that was, you know, a super interesting you know, year for me. You know, playing in Europe, playing in Lithuania, playing. We're playing in the Euro Cup. Playing high-level European basketball was really cool. And then COVID happened, so we went back to Australia, played for the Illawarra Hawks, and then this last season played for Adelaide 36ers in the NBL. Okay. Before finally retiring. Yeah. Lacing them up.
1: Yeah. Okay, so how was that? You mentioned that kind of Lithuania experience being uh, quite a memorable one. I guess also a bit of a culture shock, going to a new continent, playing in Europe, playing a different style of basketball as well. What are your big kind of memories or takeaways? I know it's a bit shortened because of COVID, but what stands out to you from that experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I thought I knew basketball, but then going to Lithuania, they just view it and think about basketball. at such a higher level in terms of, you know, it's like playing chess versus previously I've been playing checkers and how they analyze the game, you know, the level of detail in everything they do, uh, how seriously they take it can be an adjustment for, you know, someone from Australia or America or, you know, where, you know, it's a game, it's fun to a certain extent to there where it's truly, you know, very to the point each and everything. you know, no smiling, no laughing, come in, do your job, which on one hand, I really appreciate it in terms of, you know, everyone was very serious, very dedicated. On the other hand, can be a bit um, of a grind, um, you know, as mm. the season goes on, um, but definitely learned a lot and, you know, really enjoyed just that aspect of it. it is playing at a high level and really, you know, learning a lot about the game. And, and yeah, I was yeah disappointed that the season ended slightly early, mm. um, you know, in March due to, due to COVID. Mm. So if
1: COVID didn't happen, what do you think might have been different in your late end career? How do you think things would have maybe played out differently if COVID didn't happen?
0: Well, I probably would have stayed in Europe. Um, mm. Yeah, you know, I wanted to stay in Europe, and the year that COVID happened, going to next season, there's a lot of question marks around that, how that was going to work, and, and teams' budgets went down a lot, you know, especially in Europe, and so that was one of the reasons. Um, and Australia at the time had done a really good job with COVID everything was open and whatnot you know it was closed to get into the country but once you're in everything was open and so that was one of the reasons why yeah I went back to Australia at that stage but you know I really did enjoy my time in Europe and you know it was a higher level and everything like that and that's what I enjoyed about it and and yeah so it was a bit disappointing to not have more of an opportunity over there.
1: You also, uh, as we had alluded to before, you had a national team career, right? In July 2012, you were named to the Australian national team, the Boomers, and played a couple FIBA tournaments as well, right? So what was that experience like playing for the national team? How does that compare, you know, as as an Australian? How does that compare to playing in the NBA? Was that as meaningful or not? And, you know, what were kind of your big memories from playing with the national team?
0: Yeah, I'd say it's meaningful in a different way. You know, playing for your country, you know, is always special because, uh, you know, professional basketball in in many ways, you know, it does take away, I guess, a bit of the love for the game once you're playing for money Um, Mm. and you're you're just there for the money, you know. It's a job. Yeah, it's a job. And simply by that, it does take away a lot of the yeah the passion, the passion, and mm. you know the intrinsic motivation, I guess mm. and I think the national team brought that back in a lot of ways and and especially when I started I was still in college, but you know, later on it was when I was a professional but so it was it was really cool, you know it was really special, and I loved you know traveling around you know playing basketball, playing against high level competition, you know because a lot of the players that are playing for the national teams around the world you know are good enough to be playing in the nBA so mm-hmm. it was the cream of the crop the level is extremely high and if anything i actually enjoy FIBA basketball more because i think it's more in quotes real basketball in terms of the rules and you know you're allowed to have defense in the key it's much more difficult to score um you know shorter games guys actually play hard you know versus the nba it's more of a show and Mm. so all of that, you know, was why international basketball was so fun. And, and then, yeah, definitely when you're playing for your country, it's always special.
1: Mm. And then in 2016, you joined the Summer Olympics in Rio de Janeiro. So what was that experience like? Was that your first time in Brazil? What would you think of Rio de Janeiro?
0: It was awesome. I mean... Yeah, playing in the Olympics is one of those special things, right? You know, even in the NBA, I don't know if it compares to the, you know, Olympics as, you know, the, the pinnacle of sport mm. and, you know, coming out to the opening ceremony, um, whatever it was, you know, playing against Team USA or France, whatever it was, you know, there's something special that you get from the Olympics that you don't get from, you know, world championships or, you know, any other type of game. So that was, yeah, again, it was incredibly cool experience and very fortunate that I, that I got to do it. Mm, yeah and what'd you think about
1: brazil did you have time to kind of you know look around play around a bit or were you
0: guys confined to just you know it's it's game time it's work time Looked around a little bit but yeah obviously not a whole lot but yeah it was interesting i mean i'd been to a a university games in in russia in Mm. 2013 and to be honest, it was probably a better setup than the Olympics in terms mm. of, yeah, a lot of the, you know, living situation and everything like that. And I think, yeah, a lot of athletes had similar complaints mm. around that stuff. And, you know, so that was, you know, probably the the only thing that, but in, in general, again, it's just the the fact that it's an Olympics and, yeah, you're around, you know, other great athletes and everyone's. Yeah, going to their events and, and doing it all. It's yeah, pretty pretty special.
1: You dislocated your shoulder in a pool game against
0: Venezuela. Yeah. What happened? Oh, I can't even remember now, but oh, basically, really? yeah, <laughs> nothing, nothing good. Um, but basically, yeah, just disclaimed my shoulder. Knew something was wrong, you know, went to the doc. They didn't think anything was wrong, but then it was actually, because it, it hadn't popped out the front, it popped out the back, which was a bit unusual. Then they took me to the hospital, which was the longest, bumpiest you know, ride of my life. And it was out the whole time and given the morphine or whatever. And um, yeah, fortunately, it, it kind of clicked back in itself. It was obviously disappointing. I mean, you spent a lot of work getting to that point point, uh, and then to not be able to participate in the, the pool games and the finals and everything like that. Uh, yeah, it was a bit disappointing. Hmm. So we're talking about injuries now. Is this the main reason
1: that you decided to finally retire and... What was that like also uh, before we get on to the transition to post-basketball? How was that like to kind of, you know, make that decision to end this part of the journey?
0: Yeah, that was, yeah, really the only reason why I did retire was because of injuries. And, you know, I'd love to still be playing and whatnot. But yeah, I just got to the stage where, you know, I was spending far more time working on my injuries and whatnot to be able to play than I was actually playing then with the amount of pain that I was constantly in to play, you know, it was no longer fun. And so the only motivation was for, you know, financial, but the financial wasn't really moving the needle that much at that stage. And so it was, yeah, it was around that stuff, which was, yeah, obviously a difficult transition. Cause you know, I was, you know, aware for, you know, a number of years before I retired that it was coming to an end based on, you know, the fact that I kept having, you know, ongoing injury issues, but you know, once it is truly over, and you know, for certain, it's over. It's uh, definitely a different thing to to grapple with. Fortunately for me, I just decided pretty quickly to you know pick up something else, which was the agency stuff, something to you know sink my teeth into and a new challenge and everything like that. And so I think that was very important for me because otherwise, I think sitting around or maybe going into something that wasn't as challenging may have been a bit more difficult. Uh, transition uh, as opposed to something that requires your full focus and your full attention and, and commitment to really get off the ground. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely that Tim Duncan in you.
1: <laughs>
2: definitely. <laughs> How much time did you take
0: off? Uh, I mean, yeah, within the next, you know, it, it'd been something I've been thinking about, obviously, yeah, for a couple of months or whatever, as I was weighing up not to. But as soon as I'd made that decision, it's like, okay, now, now, what next? Yeah, it was right into it. And so um yeah that's pretty much how it worked (laughs) nice yeah that that seems like a common trend amongst your like career
2: storyline it's just like right (laughs) into the next thing yeah yeah yeah. Yeah. that's awesome
1: what were your options at that time was agency you know i mean kind of shifting over to the agency side of the business always kind of the top priority or kind of make its way up there quickly or were there some other kind of aspirations dreams that you were you know kind of toying with as well yeah i
0: mean i thought about coaching and getting into that side of things but I think being a player, you you spend a lot of time traveling, you spend a lot of time away from your family and seeing coaching and also with playing, you know, a lot of lack of job security and you don't get to decide, you know, where you get to be the next season, all that kind of stuff. As a coach, it's even more so in terms of the number of jobs are far smaller. The the pay is a lot less. The hours are a lot more. um, And, you know, as I said, the job security is really bad and, and moving, you know, your family around every year and something was something that yeah i wasn't a fan of and it was also something that i felt like i could always give a crack at this thing and then if it doesn't work out get back into type of thing in terms of coaching like there's always you know teams to coach um you know and so i guess i was more so just like well i'll just have a, a crack at you know the agency stuff and, mm-hmm. and see how it goes and and then if it doesn't work out um you know try something else as opposed to um, always thinking about well maybe if i'd you know done something different or, or whatnot and so those were kind of the two serious things or the other one was you know i'm halfway through my masters for you know being a, a teacher and so mm. um i'm still finishing that off but you know being a essentially like a high school teacher and coach and whatnot something like that mm. so those were kind of the thoughts but for me the most appealing thing was yeah definitely the challenge of doing something new as well as uh, i guess the flexibility that the agent stuff gives to be in one place that you decide i guess
1: hmm Are you still doing a master's in education or
0: yeah yeah so i'm still yeah working through that oh
1: nice so
0: what do you want to teach well it would be high school uh pe and
1: biology okay nice so you're doing this meanwhile you have created your own agency yeah i believe okay so can you tell us a little bit about rise sports
0: yeah essentially it's just something i've started and something i'm pretty passionate about which i think has also really helped the transition I've had a bunch of I guess you know not so optimal experiences with agents I've had in terms of I guess the expectations I had around them or I guess the input they would have had on you know my career or that I think you know always always something that you know I thought I could do a bit better um, and I definitely having that players perspective I think gives me yeah maybe an edge on that in terms of understanding you know what guys actually like appreciate and what can help them and you know, based on, you know, talking to a lot of my teammates, et cetera, during, you know, my career, it wasn't just me having a lot of these issues. And so, yeah, it's just something that, you know, I love basketball. I love staying involved with it. I love working with high level athletes that, you know, are motivated and focused on achieving their goals and um, want to, I guess, use my experiences and obviously my connections to help them do that.
2: Yeah. This man's going to be a very good agent or is is a very good agent and i anticipate him making a huge impact in the future like yeah Mm. yeah for sure there's there's not that many like former international players international just meaning like have played in different spots and coming from outside of like the nba right because there's there's some guys who maybe played in the nba who will become agents but Mm. i don't think there's that many people who have who have like an international perspective and now the game's really becoming quite international right you're not just mm-hmm. dealing with americans anymore you know the two-time running mvp is from serbia right. <laughs> so and and Giannis is likely an mvp joel mb likely an mvp luca likely an mvp there's a lot of people mm-hmm. of different international perspectives and that's yeah it's really interesting that that uh, he'll be embarking on that venture i mean yeah that'll be awesome yeah yeah what's yeah. um I, sorry, I, I was going to ask because you, you said, like, it came up throughout the career. Like, you were, you noticed you weren't the only one who was having these problems. And I was just wondering if you can elaborate a little bit on the problems. Like, because you mentioned not getting the input that you wanted. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a really good point because the, also the matter of the fact is most of the players are, like, what's the average age of an NBA player? It's probably, like, 25, 24, right? Mm-hmm. You know, there's everyone mentions LeBron, but he's lebron he's 38 are not too many of those guys playing anymore the average is probably 24 and if you think back to like what you knew at 24 years old or um what you think about your career trajectory for 24 is with the way it ends up going probably way different so i'm just wondering if you can elaborate a little bit more on like the input that you wanted to receive
0: yeah just i guess a bit more detail around look these are the expectations you know this is the team situation you know we want for you or that we're trying to put you in and you know, one being you know, more smart, smart around that stuff in terms of like, okay, where does your game you know, actually fit in? And I think this is obviously incredibly useful in the NBA and it's you know, even more so in international basketball where there's a ton of different leagues to choose from and obviously a ton of different situations in each league, understanding you know, this is what you know, a Serbian coach is all about, this is what a French coach is all about, understanding you know, this, these are the type of players that do well in the league, that's why you would do well. Um, these are the type of players that do well in this you know offensive system all that type of stuff I think you know just a bit more you know level of detail and understanding of you know what you're getting your players into rather than you know this is the money um, this is a league it's a good league you know go ahead type of thing so I think a bit around that and also again advising the player right like you know if they're struggling with a certain thing or um, you know the coach has a certain issue with the player or you know you're not getting where you want to be you know I've had so many guys, you know, who wanted to get to the NBA, you know, ask their agent, you know, well, what do I have to do to get there? And, you know, it's usually something like, uh, you know, just shoot the three better type of thing. And so it can be far more specific around, all right, like let's plan out, you know, how we're going to get you there, what you need to do this season. You know, if you want to get here, this is what you have to do um, this season in terms of, you know, whatever you break it down as, you know, numbers, Um, you know position a role defensively this is what you have to do this is what the coach is going to want this how you be successful in this environment to showcase that thing so I think yeah there's you know so much that can go into it that players don't understand or actually being truthful with the player around look like this is why you're not in the NBA this is why you're not in EuroLeague and so many guys never get the honest answer around it's usually a case of what you're not doing you know which is why you're not you know, in where you want to be. And so being honest with them because very few people are. You know, The coach isn't going to spend time you know, wasting on one single player. He's got 12 plus guys to coach. He just wants to win. He'll, if you don't do it, he'll just find someone else. He's not right. going to spend time teaching you or trying to break it down so you understand it. And so I think that type of stuff in terms of getting guys to truly understand, look, if this is where you want to be, this is what you have to do and here's how you do that. And here's how you work on that. And this is the pathway where we can optimally, you know, get you there as opposed to just, you know, here's the most money, let's let's take it. And um, which, you know, may or may not be the best thing long term. So I think all, all of that type of stuff. And I think one, that only comes from truly understanding all that stuff, which I don't think a lot of agents do. But two, I think the incentives are, you know, completely wrong because from the agent's perspective, They make more money, obviously, just from signing the guy to a contract and getting another player signing him to a contract. Like that's the only way the agents make money, and so I think the incentives are also, you know, disaligned with you know this type of stuff or you know the focus being on on that. And so uh, I think you know a combination of of things like one, you know, having the player's best interest in heart, but and, and and doing right by them, but two, you know, truly understanding, I guess you know, what their goals are, what they're trying to achieve and being honest with them and, you know, working with guys that are willing to take on that honesty to, to get there.
2: Mm. Oh, that's, that's so true. Really good point too. And uh, your ability to like actually break down not only the players, but like different teams and different leagues will be super valuable because I think a lot of, a lot of people also mistake it and just think, oh, this guy's a good player so he can plug and play anywhere. Yeah. If he's a if he's a point guard, I'll just put him in this team, but that team doesn't actually need a point guard. They yeah. want a shooting guard or yeah. they want like a 2 3 yeah. or they want something else. So it's almost like, you know, if you take a coder and put him in a sales role, that's yeah, like yeah. client facing. Like yeah. the guy's a hell of a coder, but yeah, he's yeah. not going to be a sales guy for you, right? Yeah. And no. I think a lot of people just really don't understand that.
0: Yeah. 100%. I think that's a great analogy and I think even though Players in general, you know, you can say they're a great basketball player and they have great skills. You know, again, it's the percentage points that really differentiate guys at the highest levels. And so, you know, whether a guy averages fifteen or he averages twenty can be determined by that stuff in terms of, you know, the coach, what the coach is looking for, the league, you know, who does well in the league. Because a guy that would do really well, you know, in you know, let's let's say uh, you know, Eastern European team, Lithuania or something like that, you know, where they just want a guy that'll sit in the corner and shoot threes and play defense, you know, versus a guy in the NBL in Australia where if you're an import, you know, you've gotta be able to do a whole lot of stuff because it's a lot of broken players versus, you know, in that situation, let's where everything is a set play. And so you may just have to post up on the right block and shoot the corner three. Um, so I think, yeah, just understand, truly understanding that and understanding, you know, what guys are successful where, um, you know, is, is important.
2: Okay, now now the question that Kane's audience all wants to know is when will there be another Taiwanese player or Chinese player in the NBA?
0: I mean, you guys <laughs> tell me, but I think you know, I think the biggest thing that goes, you know, across the board is just like to be better, you know, you have to play better players. And so the key for all these, you know, Asian leagues will just be continuing to grow. And to continue to grow, you know, one, the talent they're bringing in from an imports perspective, you know, will help guys play against higher level players, which will help them. And then two, being, I guess, smarter, you know, from a, a uh, development, you know, aspect, I think, you know, going around, um, you know, a lot of the Asian countries, it's a very conservative cultures in terms of this is the way we do it. And yep. so because this is the way we do it, we're just going to continue to do it rather mm-hmm. than You know, if you actually break it down, okay, what is the literature that's saying on the amount of time you should be spending in the weight room each week Mm -hmm. or on court each week? What drills are actually making a tangible difference versus, you know, we're going to, you know, just train this way um, or play this way or have this many imports because it's what we've done previously.
2: And do you think that's um, one of the main reasons for the NBL success? And I don't have the stats in front of me, but I'm going to guess there's way more Australians playing at a high level now than there even was like 10 years ago, right? Like now there's Patty Mills, there's Ben Simmons, there's Deli Still, there's um, uh, who else? Taibel, still Still, uh, he's Australian, right? Yeah. Th- yeah. Is Tybul, and who's the other one that I'm forgetting? Joe Ingles. Ingle, yeah, Giddy too, right? Josh Giddy, yeah. Uh, Dyson Daniels,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: So, it, it, do you think that's like the main reason for the explosive growth of? I mean, because NBL's seen some great growth, and yeah. we're seeing. I don't know if this is factual or not, but I'm going to guess more Australians in the NBA today than there were when you came into the league.
0: Yeah, for sure. When mm. I was growing up, or you know, young, it was just Bogut. Um, who was one, mm, and then yeah. before Bogut, it was really just Luke Longley and. Mm you know, there was a couple of guys that had a year, you know, here or there, but for the most part, yeah, this has been a incredible period of growth for Australian basketball, which seems to be continuing. It's not a, a one-off, you know, in terms of continuous like rookies coming through and you see the young talent coming through. Yeah, definitely the, the development aspect of it. Definitely the sport has become more popular. You know, it's the second biggest youth sport in Australia, but still we're only a country of 20 million. Now, so I think yeah. from a mm. development standpoint, I think we're we're doing pretty well. <laughs> yeah, pretty damn good. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't know. It'd be difficult to pinpoint, but I do think there is something to, I guess, believing that you can do it. You know, when I was going through, it was almost frowned upon to think that you could play in the NBA. Versus now, I feel mm-hmm. like because so many Australians are doing it, more and more kids think they can do it, and so more and more people a- aspirate for that, and so. I think you can apply that to, you know, the Taiwanese and Chinese markets as well in terms of having those players, you know, break out and do it, lead to more players instead of growing up and aiming for the P League or the C B A, now you're aiming for the NBA. And, you know, mm-hmm. now you're aiming to go to Division One College and challenge yourself. And so I, I do think there there may be an aspect to that as well. They're
2: trying. They're trying. But I'm mm-hmm. I mean Taiwan's twenty plus million, China's one point four billion. Yeah. There's no Chinese or Taiwanese players in the NBA right now. Yeah. Zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think I think culturally mm. is a big thing too in terms of the MBA. Again, you do have to be incredibly, you know, self-confident. You know, back yourself. Um, you're in a foreign country. You have to be able to speak the language. I think all of those sure. barriers can be difficult for you know, international players in general. But you know, after seeing you know some of the culture over here and whatnot, I think that can be you know an additional you know thing in, in the past as well. Right, something to develop yeah Mm. so so
2: what what do you think about the development because you you played you mentioned like you've taken some china trips right you've obviously seen like the chinese teams back then when you were playing and you did now been on this trip seeing philippines taiwan korea too right so Mm. what do you what do you think about the development of the asian leagues over the past 10 years i mean it's definitely developed but probably just not at the rate of like australia for instance
0: yeah i mean it'd have to be up there in terms of like if you look at you know, around the world, who is growing? You know, at a faster pace in terms of development and whatnot. Like the Asian countries would have to be up there in terms of, you know, back in the day, you know, you'd play, you know, an Asian country and it would be, you know, a piece of cake. And now it's, you know, an actual battle, you know, against, you know, every every team. So I think definitely the development is there, as you know, basketball is super popular and guys are playing it. And you know, I think with social media, YouTube, everything like that, now guys, you know, try different moves at home and all that kind of stuff helps. But I definitely think that being conservative or breaking down or being, I guess, a little bit robotic in terms of, you know, how the kids are taught and whatnot, Mm -hmm. Um, because basketball is a game that requires a lot of decision making and, you know, a lot of, it's almost like a dance in terms of like the amount of skill that's involved, you know, and so I think all of that. Um, you know, especially when you talk about making it to the NBA, which is such an individual sport where you have to break your man down, you have to be able to do these things, make players uh, on the fly. I think that can also be a thing that, I, uh, yeah, I've seen Asian countries not do as well as, as the West. Mm.
1: So going back to your agency, Rise Sports, where are you guys at now? Because um, it's a pretty newly started endeavor. And where do you hope to be in the next couple of years? What are your big goals and,
0: you know, kind of the ideal trajectory for the company? Yeah, right now, basically just starting and signing players, you know, placing them in places, in teams and, and, and whatnot, learning about the different leagues, all that kind of stuff. Um, but in terms of like expectations, it's it's pretty similar to, I guess, my career as a player and as well in terms of, you know, I never really started playing or was, had the goals of playing in the NBA for the... The money or the fame or whatever it was more so just be the best player i can possibly be and that was it and so for the for the agency it's definitely not you know i want to be grossing you know this much or have this many employees or have this many players it's more just about you know having a tangible you know impact on a certain number of players that i can reasonably manage which i'm still learning as i you know go through this um you know how much time commitment each player requires in general the way i want to do it and basically just being the best you know, agent I can be. And if I do that, then you know, I think the other stuff will fall into place. But for me, again, the motivation and, and why I wanna do it is just that to help guys and make a tangible impact on you know, other guys' careers. Because um, I do feel like based on my experiences, my career, I've, I've got you know, a lot to give.
1: Mm. So we had mentioned education as well. I was just wondering how that kind of plays into your your narrative. Why education and what are you kind of hoping to possibly do with that in
0: the future? Basically, you know, not a whole lot. Hopefully, hopefully I can just do the agency stuff. Mm. But no, I mean I've always yeah, enjoyed learning and I've always enjoyed teaching. And and so that was yeah, one of the reasons. And I think yeah, teaching is yeah, a very enjoyable profession and and you know, you're working and having an impact on young people's lives. And so that was yeah you know, the motivation for doing it and and as i said hopefully it's something you know if i can stay involved with basketball through the agency and just do that i'd rather just do that but mm. if it's something that yeah otherwise i do some teaching on the side or whatever it is or maybe after i think teaching is a very flexible job which you can take mm. anywhere in the world and you know, i also enjoy the challenge of getting my masters as well mm. okay nice
1: any other basketball questions from basketball mind here in Taiwan Alex Olin oh um, I guess I guess just like final question
2: is what do you think of the Taiwanese basketball landscape I mean the skill level the different leagues um, what are your thoughts your overall thoughts
1: yeah I believe you were uh, down in Gaoshan, right with a Australian coach yeah. down there yeah uh, Kaohsiung Aquas so yeah how has your trip been to you know Taiwan and yeah what do you what do you think of uh, what you see so far
0: yeah, it's been good. I mean, the biggest thing that stands out is, you know, how much people here love the game and mm. the fan support and everything like that. And so, I think, you know, that's always key starting point for any league is, you know, if you can have a strong fan base, you know, you can bring in revenue, you can get better players to the league, you can retain local talent, and the league will get better, and as a result, the players will get better because as I said, more imports and, and good players are coming coming across to compete. And so, that's all been you know very impressive is the professionalism of the product um, you know in terms of the branding advertising everything like that has been you know really good yeah you know, in terms of the league I think both you know the t1 and the P league are you know incredibly young and experiencing incredible growth as well and so mm. I'm really excited for the the landscape in general you know I see it similar to the Japanese league maybe you know five ten years ago where they mm. can com- they combine the the leagues and You know, that's when it really started to take off. And so I think, yeah, it's exciting times for Taiwanese basketball. And you're seeing, I think, you know, players starting to consider coming back from the CBA, all that kind of stuff. And so I think Dwight Howard is here now. Dwight Howard's here. All that stuff makes a huge difference. And yeah, so I expect, you know, the leagues to continue to grow. Um, You know, it's obviously at this moment not as good as the CBA or, you know, the B League in Japan. Um, But, you know, it's definitely got all the, you know, the pieces to potentially, you know, get there. How long do you think it will take? Uh, it'll be, yeah, it will be really interesting. But I, I do think, obviously, once you combine the leagues, that'll be a, a big thing in mm. terms of consolidating the talent, consolidating the fan bases. I think that's, you know, when it will continue to grow. But, you know, over the next five, 10 years, I think, you know, Asian basketball in general, you know, is a place to be. But I think, you know, Taiwan would be, be a, a big uh, part of that.
1: Mm. Okay, nice. So you are going to have to going pretty soon you are a busy man and next leg of your trip is back to the states uh before you go i was thinking maybe we could play a little bit of a lightning round of sounds questions good.
0: yep sounds good
1: <laughs> so these are just some random questions you can give a short kind of lightning answer to this off the top of your head he was not prepared for this ladies and gentlemen so brace yourselves if the question is difficult you can skip it and then we can ask another one okay are you ready mr Bersto? Yeah. I was just going to say, you'll be deducted points if you skip any questions. but <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alex will be keeping score over here. So here we go. What is your idea of perfect happiness?
0: Perfect happiness, I guess, just being content with you know what you have and uh, you know appreciating you know what you do. Which living person do you most admire? Living person, uh, my mum. Why? Oh, just incredibly hardworking, caring. Yeah, all the On what occasion do you lie? Lie? Um, <laughs> uh, Don't lie about this. <laughs> Very, very very, small things um, did I leave the toilet seat up or, or whatever <laughs> there it was which living person do you most despise? living person um, damn, that's a tough one <laughs> I mean Putin would have to be up there right now Putin, don't kill us <laughs> which words or
1: phrases do you most overuse? probably like I think like to say, you know, like, you know, that, yep. those sort of phrases. What do you most dislike about your appearance? Uh, I don't know. Could
0: always use more muscle.
1: Which talent would you most like to have? Being a world-class
0: surfer. Really? What about Brisbane? Is there surfing in Brisbane? Yeah, so Gold Coast has some of the best beaches in the world um, that's about 50 minutes away. So mm. yeah, Brisbane's part of a bay and on the north and south you have all the surfing coastline. So
1: what do you recommend a tourist to do in Brisbane?
0: Yeah, you can go see all of the city. It's quite nice. Um, there's a, a wildlife reserve about 30 minutes away with koalas, kangaroos, all the Australian animals. You know, South Bank uh, is yeah, a strip, you know, along the along the river of the city with a you know, man-made beach and stuff like that but you know the beauty of brisbane is you know as i said you're 50 minutes from some of the better beaches in the world and um yeah if you go two hours you'll be in and bay secluded places that are yeah really yeah nice from Mm. a just natural standpoint okay your favorite food taiwanese food
1: (laughs) (laughs) great answer great answer all right what about your greatest fear greatest fear uh drowning would be up there oh have a lot of water theme here yeah <laughs> <laughs> do you like water sports do you go scuba diving yeah mm.
0: yeah we go used to do a, a bunch of spear fishing. You know, mm. but, yeah. but i haven't done that recently um yeah i love the ocean and
1: yeah surfing spear fishing. huh you love the ocean but your greatest fear is drowning
0: <laughs> uh drowning or getting eaten by a shark would be up there. in oh
1: eaten Bitten by a shark yeah okay <laughs> all right so uh what do you consider your greatest achievement so that's the question here but maybe we can uh kind of adjust it for you in your career as a basketball player and otherwise up until this point what would you consider your greatest
0: achievement yeah i mean i think playing in the nba i think there's only like three or four thousand nba players ever yeah i mean the billions of billion people that play basketball i think that's yeah, pretty special. Yep, exactly. So where would you most like to live
1: if you maybe couldn't choose Australia or, let's say, the United States or Taiwan, since obviously you would have said Taiwan? So other than that,
0: where would you live? Uh, that's a good question. I think probably Fiji. Oh, why Fiji? Uh, I've always loved Fiji. I mean, the, the culture... Uh, it's just so laid back, relaxed, people are just happy there, you know, they you know, aren't too concerned with, you know, what they have, they just, you know, wake up every day and, you know, enjoy life and, yeah, that's something, you know, it's pretty cool. If you were to
1: die and come back as a person or a thing, what would it be?
0: It's a tough one, probably something that can fly, maybe a bald eagle or something. How would you like to die? That is really a question on this list. Uh, Sleep. <laughs> that in is a
1: bed. super
2: scary question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: and you can't skip it either. So, old and
0: asleep in my bed, hopefully. What is the quality you most like in a woman? Just being a, a general caring, you know, good-willed person. What is your greatest
1: extravagance? extravagance? That's a great question. As a as a person who's been on the NBA payroll.
0: Uh, honestly, I'm struggling to think of one. I generally don't been much yeah i honestly can't think of a single yeah maybe the the ring i <laughs> bought for my wife that would be the biggest purchase but that's about it related
1: to that you know when you got your first mba paycheck how did you feel about that and what did you do with that
0: yeah i didn't really do much i think i bought a used audi it was like a four not bad yeah okay. i think it was maybe uh eighteen thousand. so by far it was the cheapest car in the nba l- parking lot. The lot yeah, yeah. <laughs> and a an four that's not like the biggest car either no it was yeah it was quite small uh wow. yeah in retrospect uh should have <laughs> upgraded a bit but coming from college where i didn't even have a car i thought that was incredibly extravagant yeah. okay so what is now what is your dream car uh i really like the, the teslas uh mm. yeah like the Tesla. My brother's got one, and um, yeah, I'm not sure if <laughs> I'll ever be willing to spend the money to get one, but uh, I do like that car. Which model? Uh, the bigger one. The X. Yeah, I think the X. The SUV. Yeah, the SUV. Yeah, nice,
1: nice, nice. Okay. What is your greatest regret? Maybe we'll, we'll make this a double question
0: from your basketball career, mm-hmm. and then just in life in general. Uh, probably from basketball career, just getting... Just things around which potentially might have led to some of the injuries I had, maybe playing a bit too heavy, doing a bit too much in in certain areas, maybe not handling certain injuries as well, which ultimately led to, I guess, retiring early Mm. and and not performing after the injuries as well as I would have liked. And so that would probably be it. And
1: what about in life, outside of basketball? Do Um, you have
0: any great regrets? Pretty much just not enjoying any time as much as I could have in retrospect, whether that's you know, we all have those moments that, you know, we don't appreciate when they're happening and at any time, that would be it. And then maybe along these lines, what about your
1: advice, free advice, otherwise you have to go through the agency, but what <laughs> is what would be your free advice now to young basketball players, prospective basketball players, future basketball players in Australia? What would you say to them that maybe you wish maybe you had known if they have kind of these aspirations to eventually go to the NBA?
0: I mean, there's so many, right? Like the day-to-day, you know, struggle that you have to go through to get there. You know, the number of times that, you know, I thought about quitting during my career, um, you know, whether that was before college, you know, during college, early in my professional career, you know, during your professional career, all that kind of stuff. And so just because, you know, the challenges are incredibly difficult, like it is one of the more challenging jobs. There's very few jobs out there that you know you go out and you know 15,000 people evaluate mm. you know how how well you do your job on every given night, right? right? And so, and then in terms of like the lack of job security, you know the highs and lows of professional sport. You win, you play well, you lose, play bad, you know and how you feel after that. Mm. Um, you know, and living you know away from your family and foreign environments, all that kind of stuff. And so. All those challenges is just understanding that and i think just again just building those habits of you're simply not a quitter in terms of Mm. basically you know the guys that end up making it often just aren't the most talented ones they're the people that are usually just the last person standing in terms of like there's far more reasons to not make it and you define making it however you want whether that's nba um international basketball a lower level international basketball playing college basketball whatever is relative to you know your potential but a lot of the times, it simply is the last person standing, and the person that is willing to continue to pick themselves up after you know each and every day when you know whatever you get yelled at by the coach, you don't play, you get an injury, um, you don't get the job you want, whatever it is, or you, you get told for the you know thousands time that you're not good enough um, for you know what you're trying to do. You know, it's the guys that continue to just believe in themselves and not give up you know, other guys that end up, you know, being successful um, relative to their potential. Okay. So perseverance. Perseverance is, yeah, far more important than, yeah, I guess the flame or, you know, how bright the flame is. It's just how long, you know, you can burn.
1: Nice. That's a, I think, a beautiful message to end it on. Cameron has to get going to his next appointment. So uh, we want to thank you very much for coming in here today, sharing your stories, talking with us. Alex, thank you very much as well for being on here. Yeah, any, thanks, thanks for having us. Any last love message for Cameron?
2: Oh, just uh, awesome to hear about your experiences, man. And we'll be really excited to watch what you do with, with Rise Sports. I think it's going to be awesome.
0: Yeah, thanks. And thanks, guys, for having me on and really enjoyed our time talking. All right. Cool. Thank
1: you very much, everyone. Until next time, peace. Nice, man.
2: Interesting, Interesting story.